right, welcome to another edition of CBF's Church Sharp Conversation. We have with us today Beth Kennett, who is the network coordinator for the Center for Congregational Health. She also serves on the staff and faculty of the CBF Fellows Program, which connects with ministers uh, to do training over two years um, as they're stepping into their first call. So, Beth, welcome. Thank you, Andy. Um, Well, one of the fascinating aspects about your role is that uh, I guess you can become a professional mediator in some regards. You have to deal with people in conflict a lot. Um, If you're not aware of the work of the Center for Congregational Health, people call both in healthy and times of crisis. And so you work directly with churches that are sometimes experiencing uh, high anxiety and conflict. And so I thought you'd be the perfect person to bring on to talk about how you traverse conflict within a, a new church start. Thank you. I don't. I don't know that I'm an expert in this. Um, I do know that. Uh, well, maybe if hours of uh, of working on conflict makes you an expert in conflict, then maybe I am. Uh, we have reached a point where conversations around conflict are, are daily conversations. Um, and when when I think about congregational life in general, it, it's not unhealthy to have conflict within a congregation it's when a congregation works through conflict they're actually in a healthier place Mm. after that um, because they learn how to navigate um, not agreeing on everything they learn how to work through challenges Um, and and i mean it's actually a healthy experience if they do the work Um, i think one of the big challenges they see in congregational life and maybe in any organizational life, but definitely congregational life, is people don't work through the conflict. So they ignore it, sweep it under the rug, so to speak, and um, you know, before you know it, the, the rug has a big, huge hump <laughs> in it. And, um, and people are trying to navigate around that and, and literally walk around the conversation, um, avoid the conversation, avoid... Um, going to that topic um, and and the congregation suffers because of that mm. um, and at some point people lose sight that it's it's not just a topic but it becomes emotionally um, tied up with people and personalities and all of that gets confused and and then there's conflict that grows because we've lost sight of what the issue was. Um, so that, that I think that's one of the challenges congregations face with conflict. Right. So conflict is inevitable. Um, and you've spoken to us before that there are positive ways and negative ways to manage conflict. And it's really about how you manage the conflict that you're, uh, you're dealt with. Uh, so congregations being the fact that we are made up of people, human beings, there is inevitable that there will be conflict. Um, so, you know, I wonder what are some of the most common conflicts that you often um, work with churches around? In the last week, I had two phone calls that really stand out for me. Um, both of those were from lay leaders in the church in different congregations, Um, who were trying to figure out how to navigate some unsettledness um, and we'll just say feelings of conflict with their pastor. Um, 
or with their pastors because it was two separate churches. Um, I was struck by how similar their stories were. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, um, the there there's significant people in the church who really support the pastor, uh, and and you know believe the pastor could do no wrong. There are other people in the church who feel like the pastor is doing no right. Um, so the church, in some ways, is divided. Um, the both the the other conversation was a period of six months of decline. Um, that was significant um, decline in attendance, decline in um, finances, and and as a result, decline in what the church was able to do, even coming together. Um, both of those situations, uh, the person, the lay leader I was speaking with could not give me a, you know, this is when it began. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what they could articulate was that over, over a period of time, for one church it was six months, the other church was closer to a year, there had been this decline. And um, at least half of the church was blaming the pastor. So with both of those congregations, fortunately I had written a proposal for one of them and was able to actually, after hearing the story of the second one, say, you know, the same plan kind of applies. The key is to help people talk about what they're feeling in the midst of this whatever it is, you know, whether it's... um, choosing linoleum for the fellowship hall and and there being a disagreement around that or there being a disagreement around how the pastor's leading. So at the Center for Congregational Health, what we often will do is create a process for listening groups. And that gives people in a small group the opportunity to respond to the consultant, um, this neutral person in the picture, to, to respond to the consultant with how they're feeling about what's going on and what they believe is going on. Um, it's not an opportunity for conversation because when, when if, if you just do the conversation piece, uh, emotion gets involved in that and it often will lead to disagreement and argument. So if we can create the space for people to let off the steam by sharing their story and other people in the room having the opportunity to listen to that, uh, we, we call it intentional eavesdropping, um, then, then the people who are sharing and the people who are hearing begin to realize that, that there are other people in the room who feel similar to them. And, and it's not about the emotion of being in conflict. It's about, this is my story. Um, so if, if you can create the safe space for people to share their story, then you, you can begin to work through what the conflict is or what the conflicts are. Um, the, that, that was two examples of challenges between clergy and congregation or, or clergy and church leadership. Um, you know, there, there are other other issues as well, but just, just in kind of thinking back through um, 
the calls that we've had or that that we regularly receive, it often has to do with somebody's leadership style mm-hmm. and how the congregation is responding to that or reacting to that. Um, I think sometimes clergy forget that the church is the people's church. Um, and, and in doing that, we make decisions about moving forward and, and just you know, steamroll ahead without thinking about who that affects or why it affects people. Um, there are times, of course, when that might, that style of leadership is appropriate. If the building's on fire, steamroll ahead, get the people out there. You know? Yeah. If, but most of the time, the building's not on fire. And sometimes we feel like it's that urgent when really the congregation needs to take a deep breath and pause and and get in touch with what is going on here. One of the things that uh, for years, and I don't I don't remember when Speedleys wrote this little booklet, but there's there's um, he wrote a book on um, conflict management style mm-hmm. and i mean it's just a little booklet i don't think it's even in print anymore you can still get it on amazon it's got that weird little covers like is that a spider on the front <laughs> what is that on the front of the cover but yeah it's a it's a man, uh, conflict management style yeah yes. it's a great little resource about like seven or eight dollars yes amazon. Uh, well i'm glad to know that it is still available but that um so i will use that with clergy a lot of times to talk about what is your conflict management style and and how There's a natural way that we respond, and then there's a way we can choose to respond. And any one of those reactions or actions is is fine and and can work in a situation. Um, But choosing how to respond Mm -hmm. is what's important and not just reacting. Um, The other thing that I like from Speedley's, uh, he created a very simple pyramid design of um, levels of conflict. And um, and there are five levels of conflict. It, one, the first level of conflict being a problem to be solved. And what one way to think about conflict is if you can get it down to level one, a problem to be solved, then, then it's not full of emotion. Once it begins to escalate beyond level one emotion gets involved and then it becomes about you lose sight what is the problem and it becomes about the people who are involved when when the issue really isn't the people mm-hmm. and that I, so when I think about these calls that come from a, you know a church leader saying we're experiencing some conflict and it seems to have to do with our pastor's leadership style, then I always think, okay, so what is the real problem here? Because it's involving a person and their personality, that's probably not exactly what is going on. Um, And what is going on could be anything. Um, So going back to the listening groups as a way to work through that, hearing enough information as an outsider... I can usually begin to get a picture of what is going on and not just, you know, that somebody's upset with somebody else or the way they think or the way they are reacting in this situation. So when I think of those levels of conflict, always trying to 
figure out how to reduce the situation to what is the problem to be solved takes it away from being about a person. So it's not about Andy. It's about what color we're going to paint the sanctuary walls. Which is a, you know probably the most difficult theological conversation most churches need to have is... You know, the color of the walls, of course, right? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. The You know, in all, in, especially in this age of so, I mean, I, yeah, it feels to me like, and, and probably it's just my own um, perspective, growing um, the, the variety of theological stance or, or how people think theologically, uh, I, that feels to me even more various than it ever has mm. been before, which I think is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's challenging. Yeah. Um, well, it's because of, you know, people define essentials and non-essentials of faith uh, mm-hmm. by different terms, you know, so it begins to open up the conflict. You know, the other thing, I, I, I wonder uh, how how y'all deal with this, with Center deals with this, as, um, you know, in the past one or two churches in town, you know, mm-hmm. you have conflict, you're there, you resolve it. But now we have such a multiplicity of congregations in a given space. I mean, uh, where I live, right outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, there's over 100 churches in that particular area. You know, I'm talking about an area that roughly about 200,000 people. You know, so it's so easy for people to uh, take a straw up camp, if you will, and leave town and go to this other congregation down the mm-hmm. road. Um, you know, so how do y'all train congregations to deal with, with that type of conflict resolution? Unfortunately, we're not called in usually to deal with that mm. um we we get the phone call when when the conflict has escalated to the place where people are leaving and at that point you there's you lose the opportunity for education about how do we work through mm. this um one of the things i often do with a congregation when i am there to um work through a conflict or to help a congregation manage something, almost always we write a recommendation for them. And we give them the feedback from the listening groups that we've, that we've administered and, and any interviewing that we do within the congregation. So, so we collect all of that information. We share it back with the congregation and, and in collecting that, are able to make some recommendations to help the church move through the conflict and to move forward. And often a part of those recommendations will have something in there about learning how to have a challenging conversation, learning how to have a difficult conversation, learning how to disagree and, and still be in community together. Rarely do the congregations call on us to come back and help them navigate that mm. piece of it because they can't do that in the midst of conflict right um they have to work through whatever the current conflict is and then they can at some point in the future can come back i had a church that i worked with i think it was in 2013 so about three years ago, worked with a congregation that was in a pretty big conflict, and it, it was around leadership. Not uh, it was a multi-staff church, and did you know wrote a report for them, delivered that report orally to the congregation, and as a part of that report, had some recommendations, and uh, hadn't heard from that church since then. 
hadn't heard from the church in a formal way since then. And recently was contacted by a lay leader in the church asking if I could send that report again because they really wanted to work on the recommendations. So it took three years Hmm. for them to get to the place where they felt they were in a place that they could work on whatever the recommendations were and had lost track of where is this report and um, and fortunately, I keep those yeah. in my computer. So I was able to pull that up and, and send it off and feel very confident that they are working. They are in a process of at least beginning to work on some of those recommendations. And, and that's the first time I've been doing this work for over 10 years. That is the first time I've been asked for um, if I could resend a report mm. three years later. I think that also speaks to helping, and probably a great deal of what y'all do, is helping people identify their conflict management style, kind of getting back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about a little before, that, you know, uh, understanding you're a process person or you're a fixer mm-hmm. and how if congregations can better understand how we all manage conflict differently uh, and not use that to your advantage, but, you know, sometimes allowing things to process and to breathe, sometimes mm-hmm. realizing, yeah, you've, we need to make a, a decisive decision here. On this particular thing, I think another thing I hear you saying, which I find to be fascinating, and something that um, I think would is worthwhile for church starters, but as church starters, pastors, and church leaders to consider, is that uh, oftentimes almost uh, managing conflict needs to be, um, you know, immunization. You know, we we don't need to give you a you know some sort of antibiotic after this virus, this mm-hmm. conflict has started within your church, but maybe we need to be a bit preventative. Not that conflict's mm-hmm. not going to not happen. Um, but to give congregations tools to combat it in a healthy way before it happens. Most definitely. I, I really like to see congregations use a process of consensus in reaching decisions. Um, and it's so easy to do an up or down vote. Uh, so, so oftentimes congregations will just do an up or down vote. And what does that do? It, it divides the congregation on whatever the issue is, um, where if a congregation could practice some form of consensus, um, which means they're going to have to have conversation about, so what, what are the pros and cons? What are the benefits? It means taking time to pause and pray. It means asking God for guidance mm-hmm. and not being afraid to wait mm-hmm. for that. It, it's funny to me because in, in congregational life or any kind of group life, um, it takes a long time for something to happen unless somebody says, this is the way we're going to do it. Um, but, but that taking a long time if if we use that time wisely, if we have conversation and we hear each other's stories about why whatever is important to me and to you, then we're going to move through decision-making. Yes, it's going to take more time, but we're going to be able to do that in a way that's going to be healthier for the congregation. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that's consensus. It's not, um, it's not about what I want or what you want. It's about me caring enough about you as a person to and, and you caring enough about me as a person that what we want is for whatever's best for the body mm. and that I think that's where congregations get panicky um, 
they're they're afraid if we don't make this decision today, then the world's going to fall apart, or or the church is going to fall in, or whatever. Rarely is that the case, and most often, if the conversation, which is time consuming, can take place, then it's going to lead to a much healthier outcome in the long run. Well, I think you're speaking to a, a you know a greater truth for the congregation, which is that we are in some regards supposed to be countercultural, you know, and we and we live in such a high. Um, fast pace, you know, high activity type culture, decisions have to be made, shifts have to be um, completed that, you know, congregations need to learn to sometimes just pause and mm-hmm. to stop and to listen. Yeah, I think that's one of the uh, wonderful things about the Dawnings Initiative, um, CBF, is that it's, it's retraining our congregations to say, let's stop. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to the Spirit of God. Let's, let's work through a process of discernment. And so in in any regards, helping congregations work through conflict is mm-hmm. let's not just make a decision that is black and white, but yeah. maybe sometimes let's settle into the gray, mm-hmm. nestle into this, have these deep conversations that are painful conversations, uh, which I imagine you've helped lead and navigate people through very painful congregation conversations. Um, so what are some, uh, obviously it's hard in a 25-minute podcast to kind of, you know, give a, 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 a thesis statement here on, <laughs> on everything on church conflict, we feel like are some, some really practical um, principles to, to give pastors and congregational leaders as they consider traversing conflict within the church. Well, I, I think you've, you've named many of those, Andy. The one is hit the pause button. Stop. Um, anytime you're, you're pushing through trying to make a decision that is obviously conflicted um, to pause. And and the first thing to do in that pause is to pray. Um, and, and I think it's, I think it's good for congregations to pray together, even outside of worship. Um, and, and for that prayer to be heartfelt and real from who each individual is. And, that takes time. Uh, so so to, to pause and pray, to be open to new ideas, um, and to be creative. And what I mean by that is often we, we, we fall to that place of why something won't work rather than to think about what are the possibilities. What are, what are the possibilities that will work and um, if we can move into that space, creativity is much more positive and, and helps people to move through challenges with, with a more hopeful outlook than being stuck in refusal. No, it's not going to work. That's not the way we do it. That, that's that's not how it's done here. If we can move to what are the possibilities and, and to dream around some of those, that's a much healthier way to move forward. Um, but but that's also scary mm. because oftentimes it's navigating into something, to the unknown. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, it, all, all of the things that... Um, that are true for society are true for church. The unknown is scary. We don't want to go there. And it's much easier to say, well, that doesn't work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, when 
sometimes that might be God inviting us to do something new. Um, that that might be God um, opening up something beautiful and powerful for us. Um, so that I think um, that Paul's button praying conversation. And, and I do mean very open, heartfelt conversation and thinking creatively together can help in very difficult situations. Always, always assume that everybody wants what's best for the church. Hmm. And sometimes that's hard because we get our agendas in the way. Um, so if we can assume that everybody really does what, want what's best for the church, then it's much easier to navigate. Another thing that um, that I try to practice is in, in my own congregation. If if somebody is passionate about something, is is to hear why that's important to them. Um, so why and simply ask that question. Tell me why this is important to you, and and how how is this going to help your experience at church be better. Having that kind of conversation um, helps me to understand something about the other person, helps me to know them better in a more real way. And then the whatever the decision is isn't just about me. Mm. I also have to take in what you know what is important to this other person because this other person is my brother or sister in Christ. And that's, you know, trying to function in a healthy way is key. I think that often means we just have to stop reacting. I mean, we have to pause, pray, and then have the conversation that helps us to move forward in a healthy way. Mm. That's brilliant stuff. You, you should probably write a book. <laughs> One day. One day. Well, since we haven't benefited from you writing all this down, which I think would be awesome, uh, what are some resources that you would recommend to, to pastors and church leaders on conflict management and dealing with conflict within the church? Don't be afraid for conversation. Uh, I mean, I think being in touch with who you are, so you know, working with a coach is mm-hmm. a wonderful resource. Um, don't be afraid to call on a consultant and um because oftentimes conflict, moving through conflict, needs an outside neutral person to help do that. So I think that's a resource. Um, some, you know, reading material, we can go back to the Conflict Management Style by Speed Lees. There's, you can find tons of information on conflict on the internet anymore. Um, anything, anything that you read... I do think you have you have to come back to how do I lead? How am I authentic? If I'm the if I'm the pastor, then it's important for me to be true to who I am and to who God calls me to be, and and that can only be done if you know yourself well and and are willing to be authentic in leading the congregation through that conflict. So, um, I mean, I. Not, not to put a plug for coaching in here, but, but I will. Uh, I do think working with a coach is, is important anytime you're navigating waters that you're uncertain about. Um, and, and not being afraid to call on a consultant because, well, like I said, I, you know, this is something that I'm dealing with on a very regular basis. And um, fortunately, most pastors don't have to do that every day. So why not call on somebody who, who has some experience doing that?
We can find more information about the Center for Congregational Health. Uh, use that thing called Google and just Google Center for Congregational Health. You can learn more about the great work of coaching and consulting, uh, learn about brilliant people like Beth who uh, help uh, within that, that great, great initiative and great partner of CBF. Um, thank you for your time. This is great stuff. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for joining this Church Starts Conversation. For more information about church starting and other initiatives by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, visit cbf.net.